This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Ash Mode is the people engagement global lead at Accenture, covering intelligent platform services and ecosystems. Ash leads all people engagement for the intelligent platform services and ecosystems group, which comprises of over 150,000 members. And he was also a recent guest on our webinar on ecosystems. Ash Mode, welcome to ClientSide. Thanks, Nathan. It's been a pleasure to be on the seminar and now on your podcast. Yeah, we're 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 trying to extract as much value from you as we can. But, <laughs> Fair uh, enough. <laughs> thanks, thanks for being on it. Well, let's jump straight in. The Great Resignation, or the Big Quit, as some people uh, term it, it's this ongoing trend of employees voluntarily leaving their jobs throughout 2021 to now, and I'm sure it will, it will continue into 2022. How big a shift is this and what are the factors that have led to it? First of all, I want to profess the importance of this for the UK market right now, because while this has been going on globally, it was primarily focused on the US and parts of Asia. But since about November, December, we're seeing the same kind of trends happening in the UK. And it's mostly between the 18 to 40 age group, which is where, I guess, I'm, I don't know about your demographics, but might be where most of your listeners are. It's definitely the, just, the one where I'm, I'm in. I'm just there. <laughs> yeah. So, so the thing that's interesting is people have faced a complete shift in terms of how they work over the period of COVID, especially people who you know do a lot of desk jobs and even others. Great resignation has mostly been about control going back to people. It's it's not exactly the big quit as people have been like, you know, talking about. It's it is a great resignation. It is looking for better opportunities that match people's careers. There are pros and cons. There's there are going to be like this is just one tide. There is going to be a responsive tide to this as well. And it's it's going to be a massive, massive shift. Now, to answer your question in terms of the factors that led to it, COVID is definitely one thing. It gave people a chance to reflect and think about what are they doing? What do they want in their careers? How, how are things moving? It gave people a chance to talk openly a bit more about what their compensation and what their earnings are. The, those conversations have been going on well for the last decade, but these conversations have become more important. Uh, it it made people like question what is the culture and value that they get from the work that they're doing. In some people's case, they just want to go ahead and be content creators and create their own thing. But that sure. that's going to create another, you know, backlash once people realize the amount of work, as you know, you would fully be aware of creating this podcast alone that goes Completely. behind creating. <laughs> it looks easy. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. So People are looking at all of that and saying, what am I getting from my employers? Am I in the right place, doing the right thing? Uh, and and something that's really interesting is that as people live longer, there's fewer people who are in like 10 plus year careers. There's there's a lot of like factors. So something that's been interesting and something that I am definitely going to talk about a lot, not just on this podcast, but in general, is that... Um, with like the dot-com crash and then the great recession 
a lot of people who came into the workplace that time have faced a lot of uncertainty. Jobs, the gig market pretty much rose, the gig economy rose, and people are working in like careers that usually, not exactly careers, but jobs that span between two to five years. And in contractors' cases, maybe even three to six months, there's a lot of contract gigs. And with this kind of mindset, there's no permanency exactly. So it's not like the great resignation of everyone who's been working in a job have continuously just decided, have all just decided, yeah, I'm quitting. It's these the smaller waves of the people who work in these smaller temp jobs, which is why you see a lot of it in retail. If you look at the current trends, retail... Um, Actually, I think this was published uh, early in December. Retail has seen greater people leave than join than even 2019. So this this is a trend, and it it's a it's a trend that will continue in the fact that the short term employees will move quickly, and we may see these as a massive tide going. And the long term employees in like nice cushy jobs like. The ones I'm in will basically also start to reevaluate. So as all these shifts come, as you know, COVID starts to recede and people will come back to workplace, where companies are now saying get into the office, uh, and as opposed to like looking at what individuals like specific patterns and styles are, we're just on the start of the we're just on the the end of the beginning of that wave. <laughs> I would say. There are many ends and there are many beginnings. It's just yeah. one long uh, mm-hmm. virtuous cycle. So so talk to me then about, from an organization's point of view, from an enterprise's point of view, if they want to attract top talent today, w- what does this mean for them? And how do they need to position themselves in order to attract the best people in the marketplace? So you'll find a lot of uh, companies that do digital transformation, like, like Accenture and others, have all been talking about virtual working for years. Digital transformation is nothing new. It's been going on for, you know, at least two decades. The move to digital, that's actually yesterday's news, not today's news. If you look at the fact um, about just before COVID, no one was thinking about having like meetings with a doctor virtually. Everyone was like, we have to go see them face to face. Now you're like, okay, I can just pick up my phone and talk to the person about what my issues are. That's good. So when organizations are looking to attract top talent, the first thing they say is flexibility of working. But people have gotten that. People now are used to it. That's not like a perk. That's like a base. So so when people... when large organizations start to position themselves in this market. They're not supposed to start with, we allow you with flexible working. (laughs) It's much more of like, we allow you to work in a style that matches us and that matches you. So it would be that you may be working remotely and you come in a few days a week uh, or you'll be completely remote. It it needs to match both sides. And, And forcing people to do one thing or the other or backtracking, which incidentally... Um, a major tech company has done in the last year. I'm not naming any names. I'm not naming names. A major tech company has done, while another tech company said, you you can work remotely forever in the future. It's just companies aren't entirely sure how to like deal with that. The second thing is with COVID, people have been working at any time, anywhere. The The shift between like your personal life and your professional life, that wall, 
that's kind of gone. And that's something that uh, organizations can start helping individuals as they build these in their journeys, because that is something that's going to be attractive. And another thing that's super important, which I didn't touch upon, which probably should have been number one, is compensation. Sure. Because everyone needs to, like, say, yeah, we, we will pay you better. Like, uh, here's an example. Goldman Sachs knows outright that their work-life balance isn't great. And they're not going to go in, like, you know, pony it up saying that our work-life balance is amazing. But what they do is say is that we will pay you a lot. We will pay you a lot. Right. So when, when that comes in, the people who are okay to sacrifice that balance will take it. Yeah. So it, it's a little more about being a bit upfront about what you can offer. It, while you're in a company, compensation is a big no-no in terms of a conversation because it's really hard because it's your performance, the company's performance and everything. But when you're attracting talent, you need to say that you will be market competitive but not only say that you're market competitive put a number out there at least when the conversation starts if you don't put a number out there you may lose out on the uh, the talent that you're looking for so the question for knowledge workers t- today then is kind of less who should i work for and kind of where where do my values align with the employer's values but actually the question that they're asking themselves is what value do I get from work in the first place? Mm -hmm. And who is the best organization to kind of fit that criteria, whether that is financial remuneration or whether that is better work-life balance, it's really getting an understanding of what is the value that I get from work first and foremost, and then using that as the basis of how I make my decisions. Yes. And, on that specific note, also don't mix your messages. Uh, a top consulting firm, not going to name any names again, literally had around a thousand people walk out because they knew that about I don't know about fifty percent of their clients were the greatest polluters. And while they say that. On the other end, the company just goes and says, we are trying to make the world a better place and we're being amazing. Sure. So the values misalign there again. There is So the, when you look at it objectively, there is nothing wrong in working with clients that aren't amazing. But the younger audience is very savvy and very vocal. To avoid problems on both ends, it's best to be, it's best to say that, what do you get from working here? Like, what is the kind of career that you can build? What is the kind of industries that you can work in? What is the kind of exp- what is the kind of brand value that you get from working here that can take your career to different places? Maybe you worked here and you didn't really like some of the companies that you worked with, but working here got you that brand value, got you that experience, got you that industry expertise that you can take through your career. So people will work, work there. People will not stop going there. And pe- but people may quit. That's another, that's another thing. Another good thing that companies can respond with is building a good alumni network. Because if you build a good relationship with the company, people will always return. I've had many stories within where I work right now, within where I used to work before, where people have returned because they liked the culture, which, again, is a nebulous thing, which people 
basically liked the way of working. That's how I would put it. And they liked how they were treated. So they came back because they realized that this is the place that's most aligned to what I want from my working life. And that's a good thing. So what I hear you saying is, number one, it's important for the organization to be transparent in their in their communication with their with their workforce. If if you are if you are an employer that values people spending their time at work and on work, then you need to be upfront about that. But communicate that um, and and be really open with it, which is super fascinating. There's also this trend which seems to be that businesses are trying to fit their purpose into what they do, or at least create a purpose and then say to everyone, hey, this is what we stand for and this is what we're all about. Sometimes it's disingenuous. Sometimes it misses the mark. Um, and they're doing that, obviously, in the attempt to attract, uh, I guess, a more discerning millennial generation, younger workforce who are more uh, you know, discerning when it comes to who they, who they decide to work with. What's wrong with that idea, in your opinion? I've come across a lot of purpose building within work. Work is one aspect of a person's life. It is not the overarching purpose of a person's life. A company can provide an aspect to a person's purpose. They can provide the means for a person to build their purpose. And a company on its own can have their own, as we call it, environmental, social, and governance roles, the ESG goals that they can do. We've seen a lot of that recently with COP26 and stuff. And companies can also put like a big, warm vision statement of what they want to do, the kind of transformation they want to build, the kind of like products they want to build, services, all of that's there. And then there is also about something that's really terrible, especially in professional services firms, is they spend so much time talking about they are awesome, but not really talk about why a person or a client coming in will find them, you know, awesome. It's more like we have done all these amazing things. Great. <laughs> but what's in it for the client? What's in it for the purpose, you know, person? These are the key things that the messaging and the branding needs to like convey. Some companies do it well. Some companies, a lot of companies don't. And it's very, it's a very interesting space where if you want to attract the right kind of employees, all you have to do is tell what the employees will get from working with you. And when you're building that value for the employees, just focus on like what is important for each generation that you do provide by default, not try to create a new thing that may or may not work. Be genuine in that respect. And if you're not genuine, there are so many tools out there now like Glassdoor, that give job seekers an inside view into what it's like to work within an organization. So if you're not transparent, then actually it's, it's never been easier in the age of social media uh, for that, for you to be found out. How much do job descriptions or poor job descriptions factor into kind of the, the, the sort of talent that are attracted into an organization or the lack thereof? Uh, so much has been written about job descriptions being bad or overselling jobs. Talk a little bit about job descriptions. So here's a funny story anecdotal. The job that I got hired for 
which is not the job that I'm doing right now. <laughs> it just had four lines. Which were? Um, can't really remember all of that, but it was basically what I was expected to do in the job. Okay. And I looked at it and I thought, that's really interesting because it's just talking about it at a really high level. It's not talking about all the details. So, so let me have a conversation and see what comes from it. Now, this can work out in two ways. People who read it and know what it's going to entail will be able to like go for it directly. But people who may have the skills, but, you know, don't quite get it, won't. So how I would put it is this. The most senior you are, the less you need to describe each and every aspect of the role. Keep it short and simple. Because you'll either get headhunted or you'll just look at like a short description and think, okay, that's for me. Uh, when it comes to hiring, so the meat of the work, let's be completely transparent, is done by people who've just entered the workforce or who've been there for, you know, under like 10 years. They'll be carrying the burden of doing the work. They would like to know what the job entails. So to them, talk about, instead of talking about all the skills, just mention what the clear skills are. Talk about what their responsibilities are like. What does a day in their life of what they're doing look like? And then talk about, give a range of what they can expect in terms of uh, their basic package, including their salary. And you will find a lot of people applying for those kinds of jobs. I mean, um, during, it, it's very interesting because last year, loads of people were applying for jobs that many people had to turn them away because there were fewer jobs. Right now, the jobs, the same jobs exist. People are applying, but they're not getting the right people because they decide to, because they got lazy. They're using the same, because last last year, a lot of people wanted the jobs. This year, people are being more selective. So companies and recruiters need to like look at, need to look at the kind of jobs that they've got. Think about, think about in a messaging structure, the who, the why, and the what. And if they get that right, then they'll get the right kind of, you know, the right kind of job applicant. Because one of the things that I can tell you as a communications professional is that very rarely do people think of the audience. Go with an audience first moment, you know. And you're, I mean, you're speaking to a marketer and a marketing yeah. agency. We're always telling exactly. our clients, clients to do that. People from a more technical background tend to explain the technical features and then wonder why no one is is uh, using the product. <laughs> yeah. uh, so hence the need for agencies. Exactly. Um, uh, we'll put our website at the uh, at the end of this episode. Um, Getting people to stay is actually probably far harder and probably even more important, actually, mm -hmm. arguably, than actually attracting people in the front door in the first place. What do companies need to do to keep people for longer? They need to help people with like a career progression plan. People need to see what their career will look like at a firm like two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, are they going to be doing the same thing or will they have opportunities to work in different areas of the same firm? If people want to work in different areas of the same firm, what skills do they need? How can they get these skills? Where can they get the learning support? Where can they get mentoring? Now, I do want to call out that both Accenture and Mars have got really good learning programs They've got good um, training programs and they do both look at like 
um, how people can move from one side of the business to another. Like I can literally tell you there are senior leaders who have moved from marketing to the business side in, you know, where I work right now and vice versa. I've seen both happen, but that those kinds of moves are kind of restricted in certain firms, which prevent their growth. Because if you've got a talented person, it's likely, like if you've got a good marketing person, it's likely they'll be good at sales. If you've got a good salesperson, they could be good at marketing because they're very connected. A lot of transferable skills. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like uh, Michael John going from basketball to baseball. It's, it's, it's not like that. You've got transferable skills. Exactly. And um, people need to look at that. The other thing that companies, a lot of companies, maybe most of them are bad at is mentoring support which is uh, which is where companies need to focus their energies to retain people especially uh like junior to mid career level people you need to give them mentoring support so that people can see where their careers can go how their careers can grow and what they need to do there it's not just your line manager or as you know professional services firms go career counselor alone you need a mentoring network to build this up and not just and don't expect like to create something like a uh, peer group mentoring level. That's more of like a career support group as opposed to a career, you know, progression group. Because I've um, experienced, um, so I'm still active in a lot of online forums, and I see people uh, talk about like you know. Uh, finding jobs is like soul crushing and you know it's like all that and all of them like support each other but that's not mentoring that's more of a career support so peer groups peer group support is needed but what you need more importantly is you need mentors from a from a what do you say larger demographic from an experienced demographic and from people who've probably been in this firm for a longer period of time. So, because they will help you there. Very easy to say, Ash, Mm -hmm. much harder to do in in practice, larger organizations, really experienced people are are busy. They're time poor themselves. They also need mentoring and coaching themselves for, from other senior executives. How, How do you implement sort of organizational wide mentorship um, in a company the size of a small city, you know, 200,000 people, 300,000 people, etc. Well, if you look at how organizations usually work, they go by, they use various things. Some people use StrengthsFinder kind of stuff from Gallup. Some people use Myers-Briggs. Different companies use different methodologies to group people. That's fine. They usually bring in organizational counselors to say, these are the kind of leaders your company wants. These are the kind of employees that you're completely looking for. If you're high, if you're paying an external group, and especially large companies do that, make sure that these people are also supporting building a mentoring network because not only are they going shaping their leadership, they need the leadership who are time poor to be able to have the right resources to help the next level who can help the next level and so on it's a mentoring relationship they need to develop is going to be informal i can tell you that across my career the people who've had really successful careers had mentors at 
mid to junior levels, and they've been able to progress really fast across, the, you know, they've jumped companies from their mentors. That, that's that's all the common <laughs> thing. They've all left their mentors for right. another company. Amazing. But these people have gone so far ahead. Really interesting. So what can other businesses learn from the way that the best in class enterprise organizations deal with people management and, and talent attraction? There's, there's multiple things here to unpack. So let's start with something that's really beneficial across the board, as well as for larger organizations. Start focusing on inclusion. Hmm. Uh, don't just call it inclusion and diversity. Just focus on the inclusion part so that you're including people from different groups so that you're getting various perspectives. Once you've built that kind of inclusion, build a peer support group for people from different groups to come together to talk about their experiences, personal and professional, to have a forum, which I, this I've seen in a number of firms. I'm seeing it where I sit right now, that they're bringing in people from different backgrounds to have that forum, to have those conversations. Then make sure that the person has a reliance not just on their line manager. The line manager is good. They'll have experience, but the line manager themselves might just be sometimes just a career level above or maybe even half a career level above that. They're not necessarily the right people to give out the advice to these, to their, you know, counseling, to their, you know, to their direct report. So find mentors, build a culture where their line managers are able to get support for their direct reports through a mentor or a mentoring program in the company, make sure that this mentoring program is accessible. A lot of companies say they've got mentoring programs. I've seen and I've heard, but it's not accessible. It doesn't necessarily take into account for cultural differences. I mean, global cultural differences, not company culture. And also doesn't make uh, account take into account for like what do individuals face personally and professionally that can actually um, that can actually like, you know, work. I mean, finding a good mentor is almost like finding a good therapist. You may mm. have to go through a few to get the right one, Sure. but only the culture that enables that, that embodies that can bring that to life. And a lot of companies are still struggling here because they're not really looking at it in that lens. Final question, Ash, before we end, end the interview, looking back over your career, what would have been most beneficial or useful to you in your own career progression and, and development? In full transparency, I could say that um, if I knew what a career path looked like, if I knew, um, if I had the right mentoring networks from universities and companies, I think I would have jumped onto certain parts a lot sooner rather than taking a lot of diversions because I've had like a few different careers, to be honest. And and I, I would I would have benefited personally from a good mentor early on. I do have mentors now mm -hmm. and I can see the difference. And as a person who was skeptical about mentoring, I'm advocating it now because I see the benefit I see the organizational benefits and I'm hearing people like Adam Grant 
Uh, I'm hearing loads of like, I mean, thought leaders in the space actually talking about this and it's, it's, it's true. It's valid. It, it's needed really. Completely. We, we only see further because we're standing on the shoulders of, of giants. Um, yep. Good, good place to end. Ash, thank you so much for being on client side. Thanks for having me, Nathan. It's a pleasure. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email zoe at fox.agency. The people that make the show possible are Jennifer Brennan, our booker slash researcher, David Clare is our head of content, Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Angbarber. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.